Please turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 22. Please turn to Luke chapter 22, verse 47. Almost a half a year ago, in our last public gathering, I preached Luke chapter 22, verses 31 through 46. And this morning, we're going to pick up with verse 47. Sound good? Luke 22, 46 through 53. Or 47 through 53. While he was still speaking, there came a crowd, and the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to kiss him, but Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and the officers of the temple and the elders who had come out against him, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you, Day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. I want to preach to you this morning on the topic, betrayed. Jesus was betrayed, betrayed by the world that he made. He was betrayed by people, crowds created in his own image and most specifically, he was betrayed by his friend, Judas. I wonder if you know what it's like to be betrayed. As we study this text this morning, let's begin, if you would, with me in prayer, and let's ask God for his help as we dive into his word. Pray with me. Father, we thank you that you are the God who is with us now as we gather in the name of Christ. We know that Jesus is present. I pray that this morning, through the singing, the praying, the seeing, and the hearing of your word, that your people gathered here today would experience the presence of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. They say no treachery is worse than betrayal of a family or a friend. Julius Caesar, in 44 B.C., knew such treachery. He was conspired against, attacked, and assassinated. To his surprise, one of the attackers was a man named Marcus Junius Brutus. During the onslaught, Brutus pulled out a dagger. Up until this point, Julius Caesar had been wrestling and fighting back, trying to free himself. But as the story is told, as Brutus pulls out a dagger, all strength leaves Julius Caesar. And he says, the famous, asks the famous question, you too, Brutus? 
Julius Caesar was betrayed by a friend. Jesus Christ was betrayed by a friend. But that's about where the similarities stop. Julius Caesar was caught off guard. He was demoralized. He was surprised by the attack. He was overcome by his attackers. Jesus, on the other hand, predicted this. Jesus appointed this. Jesus was not surprised by this. And Jesus submitted himself willingly to his attackers this morning. I want you to see the darkness of betrayal. And even more, I want you to see the strength of our Savior. Nobody made him go to the cross. Nobody forced him to die a horrid death for your sins. Jesus chose it. Jesus was obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. It was on a Sunday that he entered into Jerusalem on a donkey. The crowds praised him and they would quickly turn. That Monday, he walked into the temple and he saw the money changers and he flipped some tables. And he cleansed the temple and said, this shall be a house of prayer, but you've turned it into a den of thieves. The authorities would begin to plot and use this against him, likely calling him an insurrectionist for what he's doing at the temple. Tuesday, they determined that they need an insider because they can't find Jesus. They don't want to arrest him in the daylight in the temple because of the crowds. They're afraid of the crowds. And they can't find him at night. They need an insider. On Tuesday, Judas becomes that insider and he agrees to betray Jesus Christ for, for money to turn him over to the authorities. Wednesday is quiet. Thursday, Jesus gathers his disciples together for the Passover meal. They eat in the upper room. Jesus there institutes the Lord's Supper. And then he dismisses Judas early. As he predicts Judas' betrayal and Judas storms out. And Judas immediately gets to his business. While Judas is working with the, the attackers, Jesus and the other 11 disciples end up back in the mountain where they sleep. Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane because every night he prays. And there, his prayer is recorded for us. That's what we looked at on March 8th, 2020. This beautiful and heart-wrenching prayer that that displays the, the, the tremendous pressure that Jesus was under in that moment. And then he stands to go about his father's business to be obedient unto death. He's then talking to, to, his, to his disciples, and that leads us up to this moment. While he was still speaking, it says, verse 47, while he was still speaking, here comes... A crowd. And the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. We can only assume that Judas was 
out front. Maybe Judas was hoping that his betrayal would be unknown. Maybe Judas uh, would have walked up relatively alone and they were hiding in the bushes. We don't know all of the, 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 the details. But what we do know is that Judas led the crowds to Jesus. Hypocrites betray. Let me say that again. Hypocrites betray. There was another man who used Christian vocabulary. He talked about the blessings of the Almighty. He, he wanted to use Christian confessions at the foundation the, as the pillars of government. He held up a Bible and claimed that his strength in his leadership comes from God. This man's name was Adolf Hitler. Look, external displays of religiosity do not mean that there is inward faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Hypocrites betray the name of Jesus Christ. Let's talk about Judas. For three years, Judas was with Jesus. Wrap your mind around this. For three years, Judas ate food, meals with Jesus, day in and day out. For three years, he laid where Jesus laid. Jesus was there when, or Judas was there, I'm sorry, when Jesus walked on water. Judas witnessed Jesus opening the eyes of the blind. Judas watched as Jesus would take a little boy's lunch and break it and feed 5,000 plus people. Do you know that it's possible to come face to face with Jesus Christ and not receive Him as your Lord and as your Savior? Judas had every opportunity that the other 11 disciples had to be overwhelmed and overcome by the beauty and the glory and the wonder of the Son of God in the flesh. It's possible to, 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 to know Jesus and not really know Jesus. Why would G Judas betray Jesus? Well, the answer is, I think, relatively simple, and that was simply this. The cost was too high. And so as the cost of following Jesus begins to rise, Judas quickly changes teams. What led Judas to become a betrayer? Well, first, Judas was an insider. In verse 47 it says that he was one of the twelve. It's, it's amazing to me that the gospel writers don't actually say much of Judas. They don't go on rants about Judas. They don't seem to have vengeance toward Judas. They just seem to say it like it is. They just give us the facts. I think there was a sense among the disciples that this is just a great tragedy because he was one of the 12. Like he, was, he was one of us. 
for three years. He was an insider. And you see, you have to be an insider in order to be able to betray. Betrayers are insiders. In verse 48, he betrays Jesus with a kiss. It says, but Jesus said to him, Judas, why uh, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? A kiss was a usual form of greeting then, but uh, it was a form of greeting reserved for friends. A servant would kiss the foot. A teacher would kiss the back of the hand of, or I'm sorry, a student would kiss the back of the hand of a teacher. But, but Judas chooses the, the form of greeting that signifies esteem, friendship, and love. The warmest of welcomes is the greeting that he chooses to use in order to betray Jesus Christ. The question that Jesus asks him in the original language is worded slightly different. It, it goes something like this. With a kiss... Would you, Judas, betray? Meaning, you, you, you're taking the most beautiful and affectionate form of love between us, and with that, you are betraying Jesus. He betrayed Jesus in the worst sort of way. As it goes on in verse 50, it says, one of them, or verse 49, rather. It says, And when those who were around him saw what would happen, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? The disciples begin to realize what's going on as Judas comes and it betrays Jesus with this kiss. What we see is that this man, one of the twelve, an insider, is also a fraud. To betray Jesus is to be an insider, but a fraud. An insider, but a fraud is, is with Jesus when things are good. An insider, but a fraud is with Jesus when Jesus is giving you good things. An insider, but a fraud is with Jesus when the blessings of Jesus are clearly abundant. An insider but a fraud is with Jesus until your comforts turn into calamity. Question, are you really with Jesus? Are you really with Jesus? Listen, church, you too have every opportunity to believe in Jesus Christ. There is nobody in this room that is without excuse. You've had every, every opportunity to know who Jesus is. You've sat under the preaching of His Word. You've experienced the sweetness of His fellowship. You know what it feels like to be in the presence of His gathered assembly and to experience His real presence among us. But don't you understand that it's possible to experience the presence of Jesus and never really know 
Jesus as your Savior and as your Lord. It is possible to be this close to the kingdom of God and completely miss it. Why would we miss it? Because the cost is too high. To betray To betray is to fail. To desert in time of need. To betray is to deliver one into the hands of an enemy. Betrayal today against Jesus Christ is no less tragic than it was for Judas 2,000 years ago. To betray Jesus is to turn your back on Jesus. To turn your back on His people, the church. To betray Jesus is to switch teams when the going gets tough. To betray Jesus is to speak against Jesus. To betray Jesus is to deliver His name over to the hands of His accuser. To betray Jesus is to allow yourself to defame His name. To abuse the reputation of who Christ is in the world. Lord, help us that we might not become like Judas. Judas was not only betrayed or abandoned, I should say, by Judas, but Jesus was also, in a different way, abandoned by the other 11 disciples who were with him. Now, their abandonment of Jesus was a different kind of abandonment than Judas's abandonment. For them, their abandonment is what we could call a missional abandonment. Meaning they began in this moment to take matters into their own hands. The hypocrite betrays. The disciples misunderstand. Let me begin to explain this point with a bit of a testimony. One thing that I've realized about myself is that uh, uh, my love language, for lack of better words, is you being with me in a project. Like, you don't got to say I love you. You don't got to give me a hug. If you're with me doing something, like you're my teammate, I'm going to feel so much love from you. And it's a good thing and a bad thing. It has created some arguments in my marriage because I misunderstand my wife's love. For my wife, you know, she experiences love as I say, I love you. Amazing, isn't it? <laughs> um, as I put my arm on her shoulder. Like I have to tell me, put hand on shoulder. Show her you love her. Like I have to work at these things, right? And that's how she experiences love. Um, and for her, she doesn't really experience love in this way. Uh, she doesn't, you know, I, I could kind of be doing my thing and she's doing her thing and she's cool with that. Well, I'm not. And you can see why this creates some tension in our marriage at times. I remember times where I would be so upset because she's not just doing something with me. Just even recently, uh, she was... I, I was figuring out when I'm going to go to the gym, and I called my wife, and I said, hey, when are, when are we going to the gym together today? And she said, oh, I already worked out. <laughs> we all right? What's, what's going on? Are you talking to anybody about this? 
my reaction, just internally, like thankfully I, I didn't lose it, but my reaction internally, just it was so ridiculous, it got me thinking. Like, it can be a good thing, and it can also be a bad thing. I remember a, a, another example, uh, a friend of mine years ago was able to invest 100% of his time into youth ministry with me because he wasn't working a job. And then he got a job, and he couldn't invest 100% of his time in youth ministry with me anymore, which is fine, right? But I felt unloved. You see the problem there. I say that to say Jesus goes into this project, this mission, completely alone. As I think of what Jesus is about to do, it is honestly horrifying to me. Because I need teammates. I need, to be, I need people to be in this with me. And in this moment, Jesus is all alone. Let me show it to you in the text where, where, I'm, where I'm getting this, what I mean. And it's been so long since I've worn this, I'm trying to remember how to do this. Just, let me, just be patient with me as I figure out, as I remember how to wear a microphone. Um, verse 52, or verse 50 rather, uh, which I already read. Uh, where are we at? Come on, take it back. Verse 49. You with me? When those around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? Now let's just pause right there for a brief moment. The, the, the disciples uh, are witnessing this attack that is imminent, and we know in verse 38 that they have two swords. Now, on one hand, first, we've got to give it to them and say, hey, at least they haven't abandoned Jesus physically. At least they're willing in this moment to die with Jesus. Praise God for that. But, but missionally, they abandon him. They go their own course. They take matters into their own hands. Like if I was Jesus in this moment, I think I would have looked at them and been like, are you serious? After all that we've talked through, you really still don't get it. We're going to take up swords now and, go and start fighting. Is that what we're going to do? One of them, we, we discover in John chapter 18, verse 10, is Peter... One of them doesn't wait for Jesus to even answer. He just pulls out the sword and cuts off an ear. But he wasn't aiming for the ear. He was likely aiming for the head. And a helmet, or for some other reason, knocked the sword off its course and cut off an ear instead. But Jesus says, no more. No more of this. You're taking matters into your own hands. You're, you're, you're doing this your own way. Jesus paused him and he said, no more of this. And he touched the ear and he healed him. Listen, the kingdom of God will not advance through the sword. Every crusade, every inquisition, every uh, forceful application of kingdom principles is completely misunderstanding Jesus' mission on this earth. The great 
Frederick Douglass once said, the pen is mightier than the sword. I think of Frederick Douglass' own testimony, actually, as he fights against the evils and the atrocities of slavery. What does he use? Words. He was a preacher. He was a writer. He was an orator. Or I think of Martin Luther King Jr., who famously once said, I lost my quote. It was good, whatever it was. I'm going to try to remember it. No, I'm not not going to try to remember it. I'm going to misquote him. Here it is. Found it. Thanks for your patience. He said, don't do anything panicky. Don't get your weapons. And then Luther quotes Jesus. He who lives by the sword will perish by the sword. Look, we are to seek good of all people. We are to first and foremost seek the salvation of lost souls. We are to rescue the perishing. We are to snatch men and women from the fires of hell. We are to seek the alleviation of the oppressed and stand for the cause of the widow and the orphan. But we are not given the power of preeminence through the sword. We are given the power of persuasion through words. The point is this, and I think this is a a small little glimpse right here as to this reality. Jesus is saying, look, we are not going to advance my kingdom through the sword. The kingdom of God does not advance on earth through war. Now, this missional understanding only intensifies the reality of Jesus' aloneness in this moment. Jesus goes to the cross alone. Hypocrites still betray, and disciples still misunderstand the mission. And today, crowds still attack Jesus. We've looked at Judas. We've looked at the disciples. Let's take a brief look at the crowds in verses 52 and 53. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the chief priests would be the religious leaders. He said to the officers of the temple, that would be the military leaders, and the elders, that would be the civil leaders. We see here that the religious Military and civil leadership has banded together in this attack against Jesus Christ. And he asks them this question. He says, have you seriously come out here? Have you come out here against me as a robber? The word robber there is another word for insurrectionist. There's another insurrectionist that has recently been arrested and his name is Barabbas for whom the crowds will exchange for Jesus in a few short hours. Have you come at me as against a robber with swords and clubs when I was with you day after day in the temple, but you did not lay hands on me? But this is your hour, the power of darkness. The crowds come at Jesus. 
the crowds still come at Jesus. The crowd is unjust. They call Jesus a robber. They come at him as if he has done something wrong, but he has done nothing wrong. He is sinless. They are wrong in arresting Jesus Christ. The crowd is violent. They come with clubs and with swords. Clubs would have been carried by the temple police. Swords would have been carried by the Roman authorities. They come ready for violence. They come ready for a fight. The crowd is hypocritical. Jesus Himself points out their hypocrisy. He says, look, you guys are going to come at me like this when day after day we were in the temple together. Day after day, in front of all those people, you've, you've, you've never once tried to arrest me. You could have done, we could have done this peacefully. You could have come at me in the temple and I would have walked out with you, but you don't want to because you want to save face in front of the crowds. Remember, they were afraid of the crowds. That's why they didn't arrest him in daylight. There's hypocrisy, not only with Judas, but there's also hypocrisy with the crowds. They want to look good. They want to keep their popularity. And they want to take down Jesus. At the same time, so they come at night. The crowds are also evil. He says, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. This is your hour and the power of darkness. 2,000 years later, crowds still come at, Je- come at Jesus. Crowds come at Jesus and they are unjust. Crowds are violent. Crowds are hypocritical and the crowds are evil as they attack the Son of Man. Now listen, church, because of common grace, there are things that the crowds will say in broader society that we say, yeah, I agree with that. You know, if the crowds say racism is wrong, we can say, amen. Ethnic oppression of all sorts is wrong, we can say, amen. If the crowds say murder is wrong, we can say, amen. If the crowd say, abusing authority is wrong, we can say amen. That's not because, though, we stand with the crowds. It's because we stand with the Word of God, and they so happen to be agreeing with us. But listen, don't ever think that we can fully align with the crowds. Because as soon as you agree with the crowd on one point, in the next point, they will turn and attack Your Lord and your Savior, Jesus Christ. Proverbs 28, verse 5 says, Evil men do not understand justice. But those who seek the Lord understand it fully. We understand what's right as we stand with the Lord in His revealed Word. We are people of God's Word. We do not stand then with the crowds. We stand on the sufficient, authoritative Word of God. Are you a person of the crowds? Or are you a person of the Word? 
Do not seek to please man. Do not seek the applause of the crowd. Do not seek the praise of the mob. Do not seek acceptance of the crowd. I don't know about you, but the last few months have been heavy. They've been tough. And let me just say this. If, if you are a people pleaser, you have not fared well the last few months. If you want to make everybody happy and please everybody, you have not done well, have you? You're quite conflicted. You're confused. These times are difficult for people pleasers. These times are demoralizing for people pleasers. These times are depressing for people pleasers. Church, when you don't know who to please, seek to please Jesus. We don't seek to please man, we seek to please Jesus. And listen, when you seek to please Jesus with your whole life, with all that you are, you will lose friends in this world. You will lose friends when you seek to please Jesus. You will lose friends on the left and on the right when you seek to please Jesus. When you seek to please Jesus, you will lose friends who are liberals and conservatives. When you seek to please Jesus, you will lose friends who are progressives and traditionalists. But i got to say it like this. Jesus chooses your friends better than the world does. Stand on the solid rock of who Christ is. And let God determine who stands with you because you have got to stand with Jesus. There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother, amen? I've got to close. We don't have much time. But before I close, let, let's look at Jesus. We've looked at Judas. We've looked at the disciples. We've looked at the crowds. Before we close, we've got to take a moment and look at Jesus. First, look at Jesus' compassion. Jesus shows compassion First, to Peter. As Peter pulls out his sword and he swings in verse 15, cuts off the man's ear, Jesus immediately fixes the man's ear. How is that showing compassion to Peter? Well, if Jesus doesn't fix this dude, dude's ear, Peter is in a whole lot of trouble. Peter's life is gone in that moment. Jesus himself said, you pull out the sword, you're going to die by the sword. Matter of fact, not just Peter, but this would have been the beginning of the end for all 12 disciples. So Jesus immediately moves in a compassionate way toward his disciples who completely misunderstand. Like, I'm telling you, if it was me, I probably would have been like, bro, like, we've been over this. I'm going I'm to let you have it. You want to cut off his ear? Go for it. But no, Jesus just, he just moves with compassion. They don't get it. It doesn't change his compassion. They still don't get it. 
His compassion remains. They misunderstand the whole mission and His compassion and His mercy it endures forever and ever. And Jesus shows compassion to Peter and fixes his ear. Secondly, we see compassion shown to the mob, to this one servant who's coming at Jesus with a sword, attacking Jesus knows that he is going to be hanging on a cross in excruciating pain put up there by these same people. But he shows compassion and he heals the man's ear. God of infinite compassion. God of unexhausted love. Second look at Jesus' control. Jesus says, look, why are you coming at me like this? But in verse 53, he says, but this is your hour. This is your hour. Jesus is not out of control. This hour has been appointed by him. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit determined this plan of redemption. That there would be this hour of suffering when the sinless Son of God hangs on the cross to bear the punishment for our sin, for our iniquity, He died. And all who look to Him, all who trust in Jesus Christ, are forgiven of their sins, cleansed from all unrighteousness, and have the promise of life everlasting with God that is available to each one of us today, and that is because of this hour ordained and appointed and designed by Jesus Himself. He's in control. But third, look at Jesus conquer. He says, this is your hour, the power of darkness. The power of darkness will remain for this hour. The power of darkness is limited. A woman once told of her favorite spot at the local zoo. It was called the House of Night, and there she could walk into this this dark room and see all of the creatures of the night crawling and, and flying. And she said that on a very bright day, she walked into the exhibit uh, by herself and she was plunged into total darkness. She said immediately a small hand grabbed hers. Smiling and surprised, she turns and she says, Who do you? belong to. And a little voice said, I'm yours. Listen, this childish fear of the dark never really goes away, does it? Life is dark. Life is real dark sometimes. And in the dark, we are surrounded by the evil forces. In the dark, we are overwhelmed by the misunderstandings of what God is doing in this world. In the dark, we are gutted by the betrayal of friends and family members and those who are even turning away from Jesus Christ Himself. But listen, church, there is another who entered into this darkness. And I don't got time to work out my analogy here like I want to. But let me just say this, that we've got a hand to grab onto in the dark. And he's ours. 
He's ours. He's mine. Yes, the world may be dark all around us. The, the brightness of the noonday may be a distant memory, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter as long as my hand is in His. Because three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. Defeating the dark, the power of darkness is then overcome with the power of light. And that light shines into the heart of every man and woman and child who turn and trust in Him. Church, cling to the hand of Christ. What a light He is. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for being the light of the world who came into this realm of darkness, who took on the darkness, the evil, our own guilt and shame, so that we might be children of the light. God, help us to remain faithful to Jesus when times get tough. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.